So Acts 1 verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Uh, John chapter 14, from verse 15 to the end. Jesus saying, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you. And will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me any more. But you will see me. Because I live. You also will live. And on that day you will realise that I am in my father. And you are in me. And I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love them. And show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make a home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. 
Do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes, so that the world may learn that I love the Father, and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Thank you, John and Jane, for reading those passages for us this evening. And it would be helpful for me if we could just uh, turn up that, uh, that, turn back to that passage in, in Acts. So Acts chapter 1, page 1092. Thank you. Why don't uh, we bow our heads and I'll pray as we start. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit. And we pray this evening that he might speak to us and be at work in revealing the Lord Jesus to us as we study your word together, helping us to become more like him. For we ask it in his name. Amen. You might also like just to have this little sheet, which is in the service sheets, was handed out at the beginning, which just gives a little bit of a guide. And we're going to be dotting around uh, in the Bible through various passages. And I thought it was perhaps going to be helpful to keep Acts 1 open. Uh, but uh, do refer to these, uh, these various passages. And you, after the service, you can go back and go home and check up that I've, I've actually uh, put, put them in correctly. Do not leave Jerusalem, Jesus says to his followers, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Well, I wonder whether birthday lists are big in your family. Do lists get sent around uh, amongst family members? Or do you adopt instead the rather potluck approach uh, to birthdays? In our wider family, we've worked out through bitter experience uh, that it's better to send around birthday lists. But that uh, has challenges too. Uh, This is the sort of list that we might uh, receive from one of my younger nephews or nieces. See what you think of it. Yellies, splishies, treasure X gold dragons, hatchimals, flip side, fugglers. Well, if you were standing where I'm standing at the moment and looking at the bemused look on everyone's faces, you know what we feel like when we get a list uh, a little bit like that. No idea what on earth these things are. And of course, buying that birthday gift, there's a real chance of getting it wrong. Uh, A wrong character, wrong colour, wrong specification, uh, wrong set, wrong generation, uh, and so on. And maybe you've been on the receiving end of this, longing for a particular gift, perhaps being very uh, excited about it as a big day approaches, only to find out that the giver didn't quite understand. It's not quite right. Well, I'm sure you're very polite about it. Uh, You write a very gracious thank you letter, even through your disappointment. But deep down, you know, it didn't quite hit the mark. Well, unlike the rather poorly informed uncle and the uh, niece or nephews present, this verse in Acts chapter 1 
uh, speaks of the Holy Spirit being a gift, being a gift from our Father God. In James chapter 1, God is described as the one who gives perfect gifts. Every good and perfect gift, he writes, is from God. God's gifts never miss the mark. And his gifts also never disappoint. They're deeply personal gifts. They have a a, a real purpose, uh, uh, and they're desperately needed. In our second reading from John chapter 14, we get a look at this gift. Jesus says to his followers, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So this evening I'd like us to look together at God's perfect gift, God's perfect gift to us uh, of the Holy Spirit, a gift which Jesus himself describes here as being an advocate, literally a helper, to be at work with us and in us in the world today. And it's great news, because this is a gift that is totally free, that is poured out on all those who belong to Jesus. So if you're sitting here this evening as a follower of the Lord Jesus, you've been given this gift, and it is wonderful news. Well, I guess the key question we need to be asking about the Holy Spirit is how does he help us? If he's a helper, how does he help us? And what does he do? And we're going to look together uh, through God's word over the next few minutes at that question. Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit helps us to know Jesus. He helps us to know Jesus. And he does so by revealing Jesus to us through revelation. In 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He writes this, We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. And the verse goes on, These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. We cannot know then about God unless he reveals himself to us. And wonderfully, uh, amazingly, that's exactly what he's done through sending us the gift of his son Jesus into the world. And not only that, by revealing himself to us through his inspired word, the Bible. So as I read God's word, it is God's spirit at work in my heart that illuminates his word, revealing God to me and drawing me closer to his Son. So the Holy Spirit is at work in me, helping me uh, to know Jesus through revelation, revealing him to me through the Bible. But the Holy Spirit's also at work convicting me of the guilt of my sin, pointing to my need of a saviour. John 16, uh, 8 says exactly this about the Holy Spirit, that when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness. Other translations say that he will convict the world. Well, the Bible's very clear that we have all sinned and we've all fallen short. We fall short of God's perfect standards. No matter how hard we might try, We simply 
do not measure up to his standards. And because of my sinfulness, I stand before a just and righteous God. This last week I drove into London, uh, into the congestion charging zone. And under the law, I'm required to pay £11.50 a day uh, if I want to drive through central London. Uh, But if I admit to pay that charge, I'm guilty of not paying the charge, whether I'm aware of it being due or not. Of course, I do become aware when the penalty notice uh, drops through the letterbox. But the fact is that even before that visible evidence arrives, I'm guilty, even though I may not have been presented with the evidence of my wrongdoing. Our sinful natures, our natural state of rebellion against God, means that I'm guilty before him, unaware though I may often be. And the Holy Spirit at work in my life convicts me of my sin. He shines a light on my true nature, my sinful nature, my fundamental state of rebellion against God. But that's not all, because wonderfully, uh, he also reminds me that I have a saviour. I have a saviour who has dealt with my guilt and my sin once and for all. So the Holy Spirit convicts me, reveals Jesus to me. He convicts me of my sin. And next, the Holy Spirit helps me to know Jesus by restoring me through restoration. I'm sure many of us uh, watched those appalling uh, scenes on our screens just a a couple of months ago uh, as that magnificent 850-year-old Gothic cathedral of Notre Dame burnt down a few months ago. My brother and his family actually had just visited uh, the cathedral a couple of hours before the blaze began. We did ask him whether he had anything to do with it, but uh, he assured me he hadn't. Well, just after the fire had uh, finally died down, the French government committed publicly to the rebuilding of the cathedral, to restoring it to its original state. Well, the Bible talks of our restoration. In Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Paul writes of God's love and kindness, saying this, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Savior. So as those who've been born again in Christ, we've been renewed. And bit by bit, we're being restored. We're being made new, uh, not just simply being given a bit of a repair or a patch up job. And then the Holy Spirit also helps me to know Jesus by living within me or indwelling me. And Romans 8 verse 9 speaks of Jesus coming to live within me by his Spirit. You, however, Paul writes, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Well, this verse speaks of there being just two groups of people. First, those who live in the realm of the flesh, so those who live according to how the world lives, who belong to its rules and thus don't belong to the Lord Jesus. And secondly, by contrast, those 
who live in the realm of the Spirit, those who belong to Jesus and live to please him. And Paul writes a little bit earlier on in Romans, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So there are no second-class Christians because he, the Holy Spirit, comes as a whole, not coming in fractions depending on how we measure up. If you and I belong to the Lord Jesus, we have the Spirit of Christ, says Paul. I sometimes hear people being described as very Spirit-filled. Have you heard that? Well, the wonderful truth is that if we belong to Christ, we are all Spirit-filled. He is a gift given from our generous and loving Father God to all believers. And often my temptation will be to close off part of my life to the Spirit's work and his power in my life. There There are things that I'll be perhaps tempted to keep hold of out of stubbornness or out of disobedience or rebellion. And I guess the real question that we should be asking is not how much of him do I have, but actually how much of me does he have? So firstly, the Holy Spirit helps us to know Jesus. Secondly, he helps us to grow more like Jesus. Paul writes to fellow believers in his second letter to the church in Corinth, and he says this, 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In 1990, uh, ITV launched a new show which uh, ran for uh, about 15 years. Some of you may have seen it. Uh, It was called Stars in Their Eyes. Uh, I expect some of you have seen it. Contestants would uh, come on stage and be introduced uh, to the audience before then walking back through a smoky doorway and then reappearing back onto stage moments later, transformed uh, into the persona of their chosen star. And they'd then perform on stage, impersonating them with various uh, results, I have to say. In Genesis, we read that God created us in his image, and it was very good. But it was spoiled by our sin and our disobedience. But that verse in 2 Corinthians tells us that he is at work in us right now by his spirit, transforming us to be like Jesus, at work in us to restore us to that which was originally created. So how does the Holy Spirit help me to grow more like Jesus? Well, first of all, he gives me new desires. Romans 8 verse 5 says that those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So before I became a Christian, I I had no desire to please God. My desires were centered far more on living to please myself doing and behaving just as as I wanted, very much with myself at the centre of my life. My priorities were entirely shaped by my desires and my ambitions, my success. In short, my heart and my mind were shaped and influenced by worldly things. 
But living in accordance with the Spirit, that is the Spirit living in me, gives me new desires. He gives us a desire to please Jesus, to serve him, to be more like him day by day. And so the sort of questions that I'll start to ask are these. How can I please Jesus and serve him faithfully in my relationships and my friendships? How can I please him in my work and in the workplace? How can I serve him and obey him in my behavior? Or perhaps what I choose to look at online or the films that I choose to watch with friends or maybe how I speak about other people. But of course, the problem is that for each of us, each hour, each day, if we're really honest, we're constantly reminded that we are by nature sinful. And we live in a world that's blighted by sin. We live in a world where the pull and temptation of sin is so strong. Paul writes about this in Romans 7. He writes of the struggle of his longing to please the Lord Jesus, but also battling against the pull of the world. He says, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And he then talks of being a slave to the law of sin. I used to love canoeing at school, and we took canoe expeditions to ever more challenging parts of the UK to see if we could get from the top of a river to the bottom of these quite hair-raising rivers safely. And I learned very quickly that the water is very powerful and it's very dangerous. And the drag of the current in a river uh, can be very strong. Sometimes you can't even see it, but when you're in a canoe, you can certainly feel it. And it means that although you might be trying to go in one particular direction, actually the current is pulling you in the other. Therefore, it's essential in a canoe to be alert to this and take necessary action to avoid that drift, often towards danger. Well, this is what Paul is speaking about in Romans 7. He warns of the risks of being pulled away from living to please and obey the Lord Jesus. Despite every good intention and desire, he's constantly battling with these currents, dragging him off course. Well, what hope is there for us? How can we possibly swim against that current? Well, wonderfully, in in addition to giving me new desires, the Holy Spirit also gives us new power, new power. So the passage um, uh, um, in Romans 7, 25 ends by saying, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wonderful news is that we're not left alone to fight against sin. You see, if all that the Holy Spirit does is to give me a new desire and a desire to please God, I'd be permanently despondent. Be like someone who resolves to get fit uh, and go running every morning, but fails to get up early for the run on that first morning and feels totally hopeless. A new desire, great resolve, but falling down at the first hurdle. Well, the good news is we're given new power, a power which Jesus himself mentions in that passage from Acts that we had read to us. Verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power to do what? He goes on, power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
So Jesus tells his followers they are to be his witnesses all over the world. That's quite a mission. But we're not simply left to get on with it. We're given this new power, the Holy Spirit, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead to enable us to fulfill this mission of sharing the good news with others. And then as we grow more like Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, described by Paul in Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit begins to emerge in me. As we grow more like Jesus, we begin through the Spirit's work in our life to take on his nature, his characteristics. I was in our garden earlier today and we've uh, got a vine growing out in the back and I can just about see the early signs of grapes coming through, very small. First of all, the vine leaves burst through and then slowly these tiny little buds come, which over the next uh, couple of months will start to swell into healthy grapes. And I'm able to see that the vine's healthy because of the fruit that is emerging from it. Well, in the same way, our lives, it's the spiritual fruit that emerges, that shows the Spirit at work, making us more like Jesus. So the Holy Spirit helps me to know Jesus. He helps me to grow like Jesus. And very briefly and finally, he helps me to serve Jesus. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says that when we become followers of Jesus, when we believed we were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Back in medieval times, families used to have their coat of arms emblazoned uh, onto their shields when they went uh, into battle. Uh, This was a way of showing when they were in battle which family they belonged to and the side that they were fighting for. It was a mark of belonging and of loyalty and allegiance. Ephesians 1 tells us the Holy Spirit is that mark or a sign of belonging, a mark showing who we belong to and who it is that we're serving. The family we belong to is part of God's worldwide family of believers, a family spanning nations, continents, a universal family of believers. And like any family, we're all different. 1 Corinthians 12 describes different gifts being given to God's people. And Paul writes, just as a body Though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. He goes on to say, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. In short, God has given different spiritual gifts to his people in order that we might together serve Jesus. And we should note that although they're all different gifts, they are God-given and are all to be used for one purpose in obedience to him, to give God glory as we serve him. So therefore, it's not for us to be worried or dissatisfied about the gifts that we've been given. It's not for us to look around at others and wish that we had their gifts. Instead, we should ask God, the giver of these gifts, entrusted to us how they might be used to serve and to glorify him. Well, as Simon reminded us earlier, today's our Thanksgiving Sunday, a second gift day, if you like, here at All Saints. 
Well, what a good opportunity this presents for us to reflect on the gifts that we've been so generously given by the perfect giver and to reflect on how we're using these gifts or maybe as we might possibly use them to serve God. And of course, it's not only financial gifts, but other ways we might be able to serve, maybe music or coffee, tot, trekker leading, welcoming, hospitality, encouraging friends in their Christian life, bringing a friend along to TNG and so on. So the Holy Spirit helps me to serve Jesus and finally he enables me to serve Jesus uh, as I witness to the world. Look back at that verse in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. At work each summer I think about the priorities for our business uh, for the coming year and I set these out and I share them to ensure that everybody is clear on the direction that we're going in and that we're all heading in the same direction. Well, here in Acts 1, Jesus is clear about our priority, isn't he? As we seek to serve him, he calls us to bear witness to him in the world, to share the good news of his death and resurrection, which we'll be remembering shortly as we share communion. Those apostles in Acts 1 must have been daunted by the task ahead of them. But as we've thought about this evening, it's not a task they or we have to undertake alone. John 15.8 says this. This is Jesus speaking. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So as we go out to the start of a new working week, let's encourage one another to be fruit bearers for Christ. May his Spirit enable us to know him better, to grow day by day more in his likeness, serving him faithfully, witnessing of him to the world. It's wonderful news. Uh, and it's life-changing news. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the gift of your Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you that you've set your seal of ownership on us and called us to serve you. And we pray that we may do this faithfully, wholeheartedly, and joyfully in the week ahead and indeed throughout our lives, giving thanks to you for the gift of your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.